Hey Sinclair, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. Um, I was getting a bit emotional because Ben and Miranda were singing. That was so good this morning. This uh, just refrain of Jesus is King, let the heavens ring. And in the midst of our world, sometimes we just need to fix our eyes uh, again on who Jesus is, that we truly believe he is King overall. If you're joining us this morning, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series looking at who St. Clair Community Church actually is. A couple of weeks ago, Dave preached on this idea of presence, that as a church, we are about the presence of God, knowing it in our lives and in the world. And last week, Dave did a great job of talking about this idea of family, that we believe theologically the church is a family. It's not necessarily an institution or an organization, but it is a family. And the New Testament language we see over and over is this idea of brothers and sisters. And so we have a church that's committed to the presence of God. We are a family, but we're a family that participates in mission. And that's what I'm going to look at this morning, this idea of the church being on mission. Rabbi Joshua Heschel says, words create worlds. And I've been thinking a lot recently about the words that we use. Culturally, we're inundated with information and so many different words. And the language we see used in our world at the moment can actually be antagonistic or even times inflammatory. And so the words we use are really important. The book of James talks about the power of the time. I was listening to an interview this summer by Marilyn McIntyre, and she wrote the book, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. That's a good book title. And in it, she was talking about how we just throw words around without actually understanding what they mean. You see, the language we use actually creates the culture we have. And I actually think that can happen in the church as well. Uh, there's different words that we use that maybe we don't fully understand. And I actually think at times mission is one of those words. There's been a season in the church where to say we're on mission or to use the word missional sounds really great. But the question is, what does that actually mean? This came home to me a couple of years ago. I was sharing at a conference. I was doing a breakout session. And I think the title of my session was Missional Living. And I was laughing about, I don't really know what that is. And I'm meant to be leading a session on it. So I started out by asking this workshop, all the people there, the question, when I say the word mission or missional, what do you think I mean? And I got so many different responses which helped me realize that maybe we need a fresh um, reworking or understanding of what we mean when we say the word mission. The word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which actually means to be sent. So with the Jesus people, we are a sent people. But I guess the next question we should ask is, so what are we sent to do? To be on mission for Jesus, we are sent to join God in his reclaiming and renewing of the world. God's desire is that heaven collides with earth and all things are made whole and restored. We see that when Jesus sends the disciples out in Luke chapter 10, he says, heal the sick, bring healing to the world and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. 
This language we see in the New Testament connected to mission is this idea of the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign coming to the world. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, when describing Jesus, says Jesus is reconciling all things back to himself. And that truly means all things. So that means our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, but also importantly, our relationship with creation. That's why we deeply care about the creation that we're in. That also means people and systems that are broken. Jesus wants to restore it all. As the wise theologian Aaron Weefer says, mission is participating and joining God in what he's doing in the world. And one time he said to me, I think mission is actually like take your child to work day. God is the father at work in the world and is inviting his kids to join him in that. I've noticed over the last few years that when I talk about mission and this idea of renewal or reconciliation, it can seem a bit abstract and theoretical. And so a friend of mine, while talking about this, have started to share something that we think may be a practical way to understand it. I'm just going to attempt to throw a picture on the screen this morning. Oh, this is like advanced technology. See if I can do this. Uh, On there, we have a bowl and it's actually got some gold kind of threads running through it. And normally on a Sunday morning, I would say, does anyone know what this is? But I am shouting in my living room to myself. So that's really awkward. So I'll answer the question for you. This is actually a a piece of pottery that has been restored with this kind of gold thread. And it's actually the Japanese art of restoring pottery, which is called kintsugi. And what happens normally when pottery has been restored historically, you take a pot and you try and restore it so you can't actually see where the break was. But with this Japanese art of kintsugi, they actually say when the thing is healed, it can become more valuable and beautiful than before it was broken. And so they actually get this um, powder and kind of a gold lacquer and restore it with gold. And they say afterwards, these places that were broken can actually be more beautiful. And I wonder if this uh, Japanese uh, art of Kintsugi is in some way what Jesus inviting us to be in the world, to see those places that are broken, that he would bring his healing to. Depending on your church upbringing, maybe you thought the purpose of following Jesus was to go to church, accept Jesus as your saviour so you get to go to heaven and to be a good person. But what we notice is Jesus is inviting us to participate in this idea of restoring creation. Christopher Wright, who's written a lot about mission, is probably one of the forefront theologians of the last 20 years, says we are on mission because God is actually a missionary God. And so to be on mission is to participate in the life of God. So maybe a question I'd have for us this morning is, do you see your life as being on mission? In your vocational work life, in your neighbourhood, within your family, do you see yourself as participating in the mission of God? I think when we hear the word sent, we can often think of a missionary going overseas. But actually the idea of being sent is to be sent into our daily lives to join with what God is doing. This morning's scripture 
is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when I was thinking about this idea of mission, I was thinking about how in my upbringing, mission could often be project-based or even have maybe a militaristic term or this idea of we're going to do something for someone or even impressing something upon someone. But when Paul talks about mission, he actually reframes the motivation for why we're involved in mission ourselves. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, which is a young community, predominantly Gentile based of people who didn't grow up with this Jewish understanding of who God is and his kingdom. And so Paul is trying to write to this young urban church community about what it means to follow Jesus. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. I love Paul's motivation for mission. At the forefront, if we are involved in mission, it is Christ's love that is at the heart of that. When we see God creating a world, we see a God whose motivation for creation is love. And so Paul says it's actually Christ's love that compels us. This word for compel is the same as almost being arrested by a police officer or this idea is to be grabbed hold of. That what we recognise is that it's Christ's love that actually grabs hold of us and that's what propels us in the world to participate in mission. So I think at times uh, Christianity, as I look around, even in our world today, often seems to be some kind of ideology or even an intellectual exercise. And while we think actually following Jesus is intellectually robust, we also understand that there's something that involves transformation in our lives. It's not just an ascent to an idea, but it's the love of Christ that actually takes over us. And Paul, who is writing this, has had this encounter himself. In Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road, we see Paul encountering Jesus. And it's like his whole world melts away and he understands the thing he most longed for. John Wesley, who grew up teaching and being involved in church, has this encounter with a bunch of Christians called the Moravians. And he says, my heart was strangely warmed within me. St. Augustine, while talking about the encounter with the love of Jesus, says this. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. And so what we see here is the love of Christ transforming Augustine. And Paul says that's always our motivation to go into the world. And what I see when I look around is the ch- a church at large who's maybe lost sight of that. That we've almost think the way of mission is to bring conquer to others, to almost use our power to usurp things rather than that we're motivated by love. A few years ago, I was uh, a youth involved in youth work in the UK, and I had a couple of guys in my youth group who just really encountered Jesus. One guy had grown up in church his whole life, and he told his friend who hadn't grown up as a Christian, and he became a Christian. 
And they were just really passionate and wanted to share the love of Jesus with others. And so my friend who was in the church youth group said to his friend who'd become a Christian, what should we do? And this guy he was speaking to, who's a good friend of mine, who's super quirky, said, I like making jello. So I think we should make cups of jello and hand that out to people in our school. Of course, the one young guy came to me and he said, Matt, my friend said we should hand out cups of jello and tell them Jesus loves them. We were going to call it jello for Jesus. What do you think? Obviously, I thought this is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. But I was a good youth pastor. So I said to them, that's a great idea. My friend said, oh, that's great. We thought you'd say it was a really bad idea. So we're going to do it. And I was like, oh. And so anyway, what they decided was they're going to give out loads of cups of jello around the school. And then they'd invite people back to this event where Matt was going to be the speaker and tell people about the love of Jesus. And so they, invite, they handed all these cups of jello. And surprisingly, a whole bunch of people came to listen to this gospel presentation by Matt because they thought this is the weirdest thing we've ever seen in our lives. But we called the event Jello for Jesus. So it's got to be great. And in talking about the love of Christ and why these young people did this, because they just thought it doesn't matter what people think of us. We just desperately long that people know Jesus. We actually saw people respond to the message of Jesus. And also later on, the school was so impressed with all the things these young people were doing on campus and how they were loving their neighbor that the school actually employed a youth worker in the school later on to do youth ministry. The motivation, though, was love. This guy who didn't grow up in church said, I just want people to know what I've experienced, and that is Jesus' love. Leslie Newbegin says, The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. Verse 15 in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. As we participate in the mission of God and we're compelled by his love, we start to realize that following Jesus isn't any longer about us, but it's us giving our lives up for him. Paul says we no longer live for ourselves. This reminds me of Jesus's words where he says to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to gain their life will actually lose it. What does it profit a man to gain the world and yet lose their soul? And so as we think about mission, it actually is a surrender of what I want the most in order to participate in what Jesus wants. I was reading a book this summer by an Episcopal priest called Barbara Brown Taylor, and she wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark, which is absolutely brilliant about how do we embrace darkness and allow for that to be shaping in our lives. And she had this line that just leapt out of the page when she was talking about uh, taking up our cross and following Jesus and no longer living for ourselves. And she said this, much of what passes for spiritual teaching in this country She's American, disclaimer. Uh, Much of what passes for spiritual teaching in this country is about consoling the self and not losing it. You see, I think we live in a world that basically um, 
speaks to our deepest needs and desires, but says, you deserve it. You should think about yourself. It's all about you as long as you're doing okay. And Jesus comes along and says, when the love of Christ has so transformed us, we actually start to give our lives away with others. We've been reading the book of Acts as a family uh, through COVID. And each night we're reading through the book of Acts, we always say to our kids, what stood out to you? And it's really funny because they always say, it's always the same thing. Prayer, generosity and hospitality. But like these people, all they do is seem to invite people in and then give away all the stuff that they have for others. We no longer live for ourselves. Paul continues, so in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. That was really annoying to me and convicting when I read it this week. Or if Christ's love has actually transformed me, I no longer look at people in the same way. The lens I look at people is the lens that Jesus looks at me with, that I am an image bearer and a child of God. We look, we are in a world that's so divisive, but what if we look at people no longer as the world attributes something to them, but the fact they are an image bearer? See, how do we see people? Do we view them by their appearance, their vocation, their economic status, even their political affiliation? Or, as Paul says, do we no longer regard them in that way, but regard them as image bearers created by God? It's made me think a lot about my interactions with people. And do I see the people I encounter every day from the perspective of Christ's love towards them? Paul continues, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, sorry. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What Jesus is doing and what God is doing in the world to reclaim everything, he's also doing in us. So as people who follow Jesus, it's not about bad people being good. It's about dead people coming alive. And we're participating in that renewal. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This idea of reconciliation is an exchange that takes place. And Paul says we have been reconciled to God, like we've been restored in relationship and given this new life. And we are meant to do that in the world. Our call on followers of Jesus is to be ministers of reconciliation. This is our vocation to bring peace, this idea of shalom, where there is hate. To bring forgiveness where there's complete brokenness and fracturedness in relationship. In all of the chaos we see in the world and the back and forth and the divisiveness we see, we actually haven't heard a lot about forgiveness and reconciliation. For the world to be restored from all that is broken, we need to be a people who learn to forgive and a people who are about reconciliation. Uh, Desmond Tutu, who 
has been part of truth and reconciliation committees his whole life in Africa, says this. Forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies or our loved ones are not about pretending that things are the way they are. It is not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the pain, the hurt, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse. It is a risky undertaking, but in the end it is worthwhile. Because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring real healing. Superficial reconciliation can bring only superficial healing. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation and true forgiveness. Not just an absence of conflict, but true shalom. Paul also says in verse 18, all this is from God. And that is a reminder again that we participate in mission because God is on mission. Jesus says, my father's always working in the world. I've often thought it was my job to bring God with me where I'm going. And yet what we read in the scripture is the reminder that God is at work. And the question is, spirit, where are you at work in the world? maybe in neighbourhoods or organisations. In the midst of COVID, that can be really challenging, but maybe there are neighbours that we're called to love and bless on our street. And Paul closes out by saying that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. The way of Jesus, Christ's love that comes into the world isn't just coming through a theoretical place, it's coming through the church. That we are ambassadors of reconciliation. And this idea of ambassador is to be a representative. I've thought a lot about this, and over the years I've realised that I think at times I've thought that our role is to be maybe God's marketing company, or we're there to put a good spin, we're there to make Jesus more palatable, we're meant to give some kind of sales pitch, And Paul says the love of Christ compels us and therefore we are witnesses to what Jesus has done. We are not there with sales pitches or even to be a marketing company for God. We are there to bear witness to the good news of Jesus and what he is doing in reclaiming the world. Leslie Newbegin again with one of my favourite quotes on mission says, We as the church must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that our lies provoke questions for which Jesus is the answer. As I close this morning and I pray for us, uh, there were just three things that I wanted to um, maybe close with as we think about mission. Super brief. I used three Ps because I haven't preached for a while, so I thought an alliteration would be delightful this morning to close. Uh, They are prayer, paying attention and participation. The first one is prayer. I think the motivation for mission always starts in prayer. Jesus actually says to the disciples, I want you to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So the starting point is prayer to change our hearts and then to be involved in what God is doing in the world. The second is to pay attention. How do we actually slow down enough and pay attention to what is happening around us? maybe within our neighbourhood or our workplace. And the last is participation, that I think the Holy Spirit often nudges us in our daily lives to join in what God is doing. 
Maybe it's been to be involved in an organisation. Maybe even recently it's been this idea of foster care that we've seen. Maybe it's to provide food for people that don't have it. Whatever it is, maybe there's a nudge that the Spirit has been doing in our lives and we've been asked to participate and step into what God is doing. Dave's going to lead us in communion in a moment. And what we see in communion around the table is this idea that through Jesus and his death, we actually can see reconciliation take place. Paul says here, it's actually because of what Christ has done and his love that compels us into mission.